Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host and president of Mission Go. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. What a great text that tells us as we live by faith, as we trust God and seek him first, put him first in our lives, allow him to be the Lord of our life, that he will not only be near and dear to us, but also meet our needs. And so this week, I trust that we'll put our faith and trust in him and in him alone. This is a radio edition of Global Times. Today we have in our studio Mano Paul. He's from India. He's a longtime missionary with Global Outreach Mission, and he has done various projects with us. He was in Belize for about nine years, and now he's working back in his home country of India. But today, Mano, I'd like, to, like you to talk about how you got involved with Dr. John Look. Dr. John Look is the one who oversees Global Health Services. And so, Mano, why don't you, why don't you describe how you first met Dr. Look and how your ministry with him has, has taken place over the years? Thank you, Brian. Uh, I know Dr. John Look since 2001, September, uh, when we first came to the U.S. and we did our uh, 
deputation and mostly with Dr. John Luke. And even before that, before we actually started uh, the deputation work, Dr. John Luke took me and Shoba to Belize and he wanted us to just see the country. We were there for five days, uh, saw different parts of Belize and saw the needs. And uh, more than anybody else in Global Outreach Mission, our association with uh, Dr. John Luke was more important in the sense he was the one who first told us about his own life in Africa. And we were really challenged by his life, by his ministry, by his kindness. And uh, more, many times whenever I used to come to the U.S., I always used to visit him and receive a lot of uh, mentoring from him. I really want to thank God and uh, Judy, his wife, both of them are good friends to us. We also, Dr. John Luke had come to India and then we had uh, the privilege and the opportunity to go with him to different places where he was ministering, he was sharing the gospel. Lots of people had come to know the Lord during that visit and we also went to northern part of our country to see some of the Indian mission hospitals, how they are run. In fact, some of those things we wanted to uh, have in our own mission. Anna, why don't you tell us about uh, when Dr. Luck was able to minister in your home church there in India? Yeah. When he was in Hyderabad, he came to our church and we, he preached in our church. It's called a Sikandrabad Bible Fellowship, a Bible-based evangelical church. And uh, he was sharing about a dream he had just before he had come to India. And he was sharing something from his dream and people were so touched. And many people after the service, they wanted to spend more time with Dr. Luke. And he, he gave a lot of time to many of our church members that day. And what was the dream about? He, it was a dream about a person who was trying to follow a Christian, I mean, Hindu god, Krishna. And uh, then he found out in the dream that he was not true. He wanted to find out the true God and somehow he comes to know Jesus as his personal savior. That was the dream. And Dr. John Luke explained in such a beautiful way that Jesus is the only way and true God. That really touched many of our members in our church. Yeah, I imagine that would be very effective. Could you tell us about uh, a communion service that he had there at one point? This happened in Belize. In, in one of the churches he was speaking, I was there. Just before the communion service, he was telling, he gave an example that in his own church in Anoka, that an elderly couple, they exchanged their vows again in front of the, in the church. And he was comparing, I mean, whenever we go, go through this communion service, it's like telling the Lord uh, that again, exchanging our vows, our loyalty, our faithfulness to the Lord and also to the people around. I was really blessed by that. I can never forget the way he really brought out that, that so morning. So you made the comparison between uh, re renewing your marriage vows with exactly. uh, communion where you renew your vow to the Lord yeah, exactly. uh, at the yeah. communion table. That is a that is a real blessing. That's a that's sort of an exciting thing. Why don't you tell us about some of the ministry that you had in, uh, in Belize. Uh, tell us about your relationship with Pastor Pish down there. And, and uh, I think that was your home church there when, when you were in Belize and talk about some of the activities that happened in that church and with Pastor Pish. Yeah. Uh, this is an evangelical church. Pastor Pish is from uh, Mayan background and we really enjoyed the friendship and also ministering in that church. Uh, in that church, there is one guy by name Charles. I tried to share the gospel and many times he used to slip away. But once he gave his life to the Lord and I had the privilege of baptizing Charles because that morning... Brother Pish had backache. He said he cannot do anything. He can't move. So I had the privilege of baptizing him. And there is one more guy by name Leon Ramclam who runs a very good uh, automobile workshop, very famous in southern part of Belize. 
he was so slow uh, i mean his walk with the lord and then this man also was revived and in fact these two young men have become my best friends and my prayer partners they are having such a wonderful life and they both uh, are very active in the church and apart from that we used to work in another church and a guy whom we mentored has gone for for to a bible college and he is now pastoring a thriving church and i was the main speaker for Belize men's conference which used to happen once a year those there's a time when a lot of pastors and men from all around Belize used to come i was there for 2 years as their main speaker and god has given me the privilege of having great friendships with so many pastors in Belize yeah you had a wonderful ministry down there and and god has really uh, blessed you in a mighty way we we'll look forward to hearing about more of these uh, opportunities in our next broadcast thank you mano thank you brian Thank you so much for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour and for your prayers and your financial support. This is a listener-supported ministry without your help. We cannot continue to be on the air. You may know, this is the oldest Christian broadcast in North America. It was started back in 1927 and we depend upon the Lord and your gifts. We continue because of your prayer and support. This month we are offering a great booklet titled When is it right to die? It really has end-of-life questions that are very very important for all of us to think about, trying to determine for ourselves. My wife and I have made living wills and we talked about these issues and of course, it's really important for us, such questions as, to support if you have healthcare directives so that your wishes are carried out in your life. This booklet will really help you make those decisions. One of the topics it covers is called enlightenment. That is, it talks about mercy killing in the Bible about the end of life challenges and how to try to help overcome them. It also discusses the inexpressible value of your soul how important it is. The author quotes Matthew chapter 16 verses 25 and 26 would say, "What good will it be for a man if he gains the whole world, yet forfeits his soul a working man given exchange for his soul?" Basically, Jesus is saying that a single soul is worth more than all the wealth and all the world and so it must be treated with the highest respect. So I'm sure that you will benefit from reading this booklet and your loved ones will benefit. You can get your copy by writing to Mission Go at Box 1210 Street, Catharines, Ontario, L2R 7A7 or the United States of Box 2010 Buffalo, New York, 14231. And please don't forget to pray for this broadcast each day. Thank you so much. Sometimes all Sometimes praise the Lord Sometimes gently singing Our hearts in one accord Sometimes alleluia Sometimes praise the Lord Sometimes gently singing our hearts in one accord Sometimes gently singing our hearts in one Today's message is from the Honorable Ernest C. Manning and is entitled, 
faith once delivered. I know the Lord will bless you as you listen to this wonderful God-inspired message. Printed copies are available upon request. Last week, I outlined a list of subjects we propose to deal with in this series of talks entitled, The Faith Which Was Once Delivered Unto the Saints. Our object is to examine the cardinal doctrines of the Christian faith with two goals in mind. First, to help Christian men and women give an articulate scriptural answer to those who ask them what they believe and why. And two, to help dispel the appalling ignorance of what true Bible Christianity is all about, so prevalent in the secular society of our times. The cardinal truth I want to discuss today is the doctrine of the divine authorship and preservation of the Bible. This subject involves two related questions. One, did God at some time in the past provide mankind with a perfect written revelation of divine eternal truth? And two, if so, has he preserved that perfect written revelation so that we may rightly claim to have in our possession today a word-perfect Bible that is in very truth the verbally inspired, divinely preserved, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. This matter certainly is not a mere academic exercise. There is at stake so much that affects and therefore should concern us all. It goes without saying that if the Bible is really the infallible and inerrant Word of God, it is by far the most valuable and important book in the world. It is humanity's one and only source of absolute knowledge pertaining not only to this life, but to the life to come. Anyone would be a fool to ignore or be indifferent to such a book. Now the fact is the Bible claims to be the infallible and inerrant Word of God. If its claims are false, then it is a fraudulent hoax, a book claiming to be something it is not, in which case it stands self-discredited and unworthy of our attention. You see how much hinges on the question of whether it is or is not the book it claims to be? The first proposition I present to you is that there is a wealth of irrefutable evidence supporting the Bible's claims of divine authorship and therefore infallibility. Its human writers consistently affirmed that the words they wrote were not their own, but were words they were moved to write and speak by the Holy Spirit of God. Few of the writers were learned men in a literary sense, and yet the Bible represents the highest standard of literary style and diction in every language into which it has been translated. How is this possible? The only rational explanation is that the human writers were mere tools in the hands of God, who was the real author of what they wrote. Further proof of divine authorship is evidenced by the matchless harmony within the 66 books comprising the canon of Scripture. Think of it. Some 40 different writers, many of them unknown to each other, writing about subjects they acknowledged they did not understand. And over a period of 1,600 years, and yet there is not one single contradiction within or between the 66 books of the Old and New Testament. Impossible if they were the authors, but perfectly logical and understandable if God was the author of all Scripture, as the Bible affirms. Further proof is provided by the literal exactitude with which Bible prophecies have been fulfilled. The human writers, left to themselves, could not possibly have foretold future events 
in such detail and with such accuracy. The Bible's longevity and endurance despite concerted efforts to destroy it bears further witness, not only to its divine authorship, but divine preservation. And certainly no honest investigator would deny the supernatural experimental effect it has had on the lives of the millions who have read and studied and believed and responded to the truth it affirms. No book written by men could possibly produce such results. But for many Christians, the most conclusive proof of all is the testimony of the Lord Jesus Christ. During his earthly ministry, he repeatedly quoted from the Old Testament books, affirming that what was there written was the Word of God. He urged his disciples to search the Scriptures as the divine record that testified of him, and rebuked the doubters as fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. He not only placed his stamp of divine authenticity on the Scriptures, but affirmed God's intention to preserve them inviolate for all time. He said, Verily I say unto you, till heaven and earth pass, one jot or one tittle shall in no wise pass from the law, till all be fulfilled. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. This matter of divine preservation has become a key issue in our day and generation. While millions acknowledge the conclusive evidence that God did in times past give to mankind a perfect written revelation of truth, many are in doubt as to whether he has preserved that revelation inviolate throughout the centuries. In other words, while accepting the divine verbal inspiration of the original manuscripts, they question the literal accuracy of the translations we have in our possession today. One clear evidence of this attitude, even among Christians, is the multiplicity of translations and revisions they have embraced in recent years, each claiming to be a more accurate translation than its predecessors. To say a translation is more accurate than a previous translation implies that it still is not 100% accurate, therefore obviously cannot be literally the inerrant Word of God, because if it was, it would be totally free from errors of any kind. In considering this matter, three important facts must be kept in mind. One, no original manuscripts of the Scriptures have been in existence for centuries. Therefore, unless God has miraculously preserved the divine perfection of His original revelation, we have no infallible Bible today. Two, Unless God has preserved His original perfect revelation, the purpose of giving it in the first place has been defeated. He obviously gave it initially because He wanted mankind to have an accurate revelation of truth. It is inconceivable that He would permit that purpose to be thwarted. And three, if God has not preserved His Word inviolate, the cardinal doctrine of individual accountability is seriously impaired if not destroyed. The Bible affirms that God holds us individually accountable to Him. The basis of that accountability is that we have been given a perfect revelation of God's will, so that we know precisely what is expected of us. If that revelation has been lost or impaired, 
The basis for accountability is gone. Again, it is inconceivable that God would permit that to happen. Turning to the historical records, we quickly discovered that there are two distinct lines of descent from which came the numerous Bibles we have today. It is equally obvious that from the beginning, one line has been marked by imperfections and inaccuracies, while the other line possesses all the hallmarks of divine preservation and inerrancy. Let me briefly trace the two lines of descent. The Old Testament originals were in Hebrew, the New Testament originals in Greek. The first known translation of the Old Testament from Hebrew into Greek was known as the Septuagint and was made in Alexander, Egypt in 277 B.C. From the outset, the accuracy of the Septuagint was questioned by Hebrew scholars and rejected by Orthodox Jews. It was in existence at the time of Christ, but there is no indication that he ever quoted from it or recognized it in any way. Three alleged copies of the Septuagint are still in existence. They are the Vaticanus Manuscript in the Vatican at Rome, the Alexandrian Manuscript, and the Sinaitic Manuscript. These together with translations of the Septuagint into Latin, made in the second century and called the Latin Vulgate, and revised in the fourth century by Jerome, together with copies of New Testament Greek manuscripts, became the basis for a long series of translations and revisions. Some of the better-known editions are Bede's translation into Anglo-Saxon in the 8th century, a 9th century revision named after Alfred the Great, Wycliffe's translation into English in the 14th century, and the Dewey Bible in English produced in 1582 and adopted by the Roman Catholic Church. Also in the 15th century, there was Coverdale's English translation and Matthew's revision. There was the Great or Chain Bible, of which the Geneva Bible of 1560 was a revision, with a further revision in 1568 known as the Bishop's Bible. In 1881, Drs. Westcott and Hort, two liberal theologians who didn't accept the doctrine of divine preservation of the Scriptures, produced their Greek New Testament, which together with the Old Testament translations and revisions I've mentioned, became the basis for the English Revised Version of 1885 and the American Revised Version of 1901. Most of the multiplicity of the modern revisions so widely promulgated today are based on manuscripts identified with this long chain of inaccurate translations and revisions. The other line of translations is very different. It goes back to the copies of the Old Testament Hebrew originals and of Greek New Testament originals, preserved by faithful, often persecuted churches and bodies of believers during the long period and dark ages between the days of the early church and the 16th century. These faithful preservers of the faith, once delivered, included the Syrian church whose center had been Antioch, from where Paul and Barnabas began their first missionary journey, the Italic church in northern Italy, the Waldensian church, the Greek Catholic church, the Gaelic church of southern France, and the Celtic church of Britain. From these preserved manuscripts, including the pure Greek text known by such names as the Textus Receptus, Received Text, Majority Text, 
Byzantine text or Reformation text, Erasmus and Stevanus made their Greek copies early in the 16th century. From these, Tyndall made his English translation of the New Testament in 1525 and was working on his translation of the Old Testament when he was martyred in 1536 for his loyalty to and defense of the faith once delivered unto the saints. It was from these manuscripts that what became known throughout the Christian world as the authorized or King James translation of the Bible was produced by a committee of dedicated godly scholars in 1611 to become the universally recognized and accepted Bible for the next 350 years. One of the saddest and most regrettable trends of recent years has been the movement away from that blessed book that carries all the hallmarks of both divine inspiration and divine preservation to the multiplicity of imperfect modern translations and revisions stemming from the other line of manuscripts so lacking in evidence to support their claims to be more accurate translations of the Word of God. The modern concept, held even by many Christians today, is that there is no divinely preserved in word-perfect translation of the Bible, that the truth of God and will of God is to be discovered by comparing the numerous translations, each differing from the other, and then using our human judgment to decide which to believe. The inevitable result is confusion and uncertainty as to precisely what is the inerrant Word of God. We reject this concept as being contrary to the facts of history, to the Bible's own testimony, and to Christ's personal assurance that His Word forever settled in heaven will likewise be preserved on earth as long as time shall last. That's why we affirm without apology or reservation that as far as the Bible and the English language is concerned, the King James authorized translation, like the earlier manuscripts from which it came, has all the hallmarks not only of divine inspiration, but of divine preservation, and is in very truth the verbally inspired, infallible, and inerrant Word of God. We accept it and commend it to you as the faith which was once delivered unto the saints. You can rest your priceless soul on the accuracy and reliability of every word it contains. We likewise commend to you the matchless divine Christ of the Bible, for it is of Him the Scriptures bear witness. Above all, we urge you to respond to what those Scriptures tell you of your need of God's forgiveness and of His willingness to receive and forgive and save to the uttermost all who will come to Him through the divine person of His Son. If you've never done so before, we urge you to open your life to Jesus Christ today and receive Him as your personal Savior and Sovereign Lord. May God bless you. We hope this week's message was a great blessing to you and that you can apply this message throughout this next week. Here at Canada National Bible Hour, our concerns are to make sure that everyone listening to this broadcast is a true believer in Jesus Christ, and that the Gospel is very clear. But God made provision for this, 
and he sent the best gift he has is Jesus Christ. Jesus became a babe in the manger's virgin born, he went to the cross and thought about you for your sins and took those sins on his own body, that cross paid the death that you needed to pay for your sins, but he took our place that day. If you have faith, if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you will be saved as an act of faith. You need to pray now and ask God to come into your life, pray this sincerely, pray, he will do that. Also, we want you to write in this month to get the booklet When Is It Right to Die? This booklet covers many of the end-of-life questions, and we wish you to get your copy of this booklet. It is essential for you to read and share with your loved ones. Please write Mission Goer Box 1210 Street Catharines Ontario L2 or 787 or in the United States a Box 2010 Buffalo New York 14231. You can also hear past broadcasts on our website which is missiongo.org-radio. That's m-i-s-s-i-o-n-go.org-d-a-s-radio. If you do this, you'll be able to get all the broadcasts. Thanks for listening today. We continue blessing on you throughout this next week and please, the Bible teaches that all of us come short of the glory of God. Because of that, we are not eligible to be in God's presence because He is a holy God.